Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Bonjour and welcome to the Recruitment Flex. I'm flying solo today, but I have a fantastic guest. I'm really excited to welcome Richard Collins, co-founder CEO at CV Wallet. Richard, thank you for joining me. Hi, Serge. Nice to be here. Thank you for inviting me along. So as I was saying in the green room, I've been following your career for a long time. I'm very impressed with what you've been able to accomplish. But for the listeners that have never heard of Richard Collins, who are you? I am someone that's been in the industry for far too long. (laughs) Started out working in recruitment in 1995 and very quickly jumped on the whole internet bandwagon when it was a mere glint in Jeff Bezos's eye kind of thing. So from there, went on to run a job board. I then set up an advertising agency that I went on to sell to WPP, came back into pure recruitment, marketing, had another agency sold that. And then most recently, and I think where most people know me from, we had a programmatic advertising platform called ClickIQ. We sold that to Indeed in 2019 before setting up CV Wallet a couple of years ago. Yeah, I do want to spend a lot of time in CV Wallet, but before we get there, I'm always very curious how transactions in this industry happen. And when you sold ClickIQ, it was in the midst of several programmatic players being sold, AppCast and then TMP had bought, I think it was called Perengo, I forget what it was called. It all happened in the span of a couple of weeks. But I'm curious, like, how does this happen? How does the transaction, does Indeed approach you? Do you approach them? How long does it take? What are the behind the scenes? Yeah, I think acquisitions are a bit like children in that they're rarely planned. And in the case of Indeed one, it came along at an interesting time. We were invited to do some work with Indeed around expanding their network through our programmatic on some internal vacancies. We ran competitively against a number of other programmatics at the time. And basically, we performed better. Simple as that. We then had a very long due diligence process. And in the end, the deal was done despite everything. And we went from there. And it's similar experience. That was my third exit. Yeah. In both cases, they, they come somewhat, they kind of blindside you. They come out of nowhere. And before you know it, you're having this conversation and the deals get done. And it's, I swear, it's more luck than judgment. Like, How long is the due diligence? Does this happen over a year? Does it happen over a couple of months? In the Indeed case, I think it took us nine months. But okay. the really funny thing was that when all the announcements came out about our acquisition, and it was literally two weeks off the back of AppCasts, the, the world was, it was all this conjecture on LinkedIn about how Indeed must have seen AppCast's announcement and then acquired ClickIQ in two weeks. What kind of idiot thinks that you can buy a company in two weeks? I mean, it's just ridiculous. It takes a very long time, way longer than you expect. There's far more information to be produced than you can possibly imagine. And I think people that manage to get through the process, it's one thing to start a business. It's another thing entirely to be able to exit it. And and then you have to invariably go in and help the acquirer in terms of integrate and all yeah. of that kind of stuff, which from a cultural point of view, being an entrepreneur to moving into a big company is very challenging indeed. I want to jump into CV Wallet. What inspired the creation of CV Wallet and and what problem is it trying to solve right now in the industry? Yeah, what we started from is is not really where we've ended up. 
So the initial inspiration was around how can we help job seekers effectively prove you know, their career credentials, for want of a better world. Yeah. So it was built on the back of seeing some of the Web3 new technologies that were out there and just thinking if we could somehow use this, this would definitely add a lot of value to our very strange recruitment practices that we have. So that's how it started out. But midway through there, the whole AI thing popped up its head. Yeah. It changed the, the direction of travel a little bit. Um, and in terms of the, the problem that it solves, we, we talk about the recruiter paradox. So the, the issue I think that a lot of recruiters have at the moment is, is twofold. One, they have too many applications. And secondly, they don't have enough qualified ones. Okay, And those two yeah. things are literally the opposite of each other. And the problem that I think a lot of TA folk have is that if you have too many applications, your natural response is, I will do less. So I will do less advertising, et cetera, to try and reduce the number of applications that I'm getting through. The problem with that is you're not getting enough qualified applicants in the first place. So by reducing that number, you're making that problem even worse. And I think it's also worth mentioning at this point, that's a recruiter problem, but that problem is caused by job seekers, not always personally and on purpose, but that is the cause of the issue in that job seekers have been adopting increasingly rapidly generative AI. We have lots of easy applies going into places like Indeed. And then the other part yeah. is the whole skill shortage issue. So all of those things come together to create this situation where we're in that TA are being increasingly overwhelmed with applications and are getting less and less of the ones that they actually want. And that's effectively what we've built our solution around. So if you look at this is what job seekers have been asking for a long time, really quick apply. And, and that's been a challenge, right? Like I would say the last five years where too many applications and the quality has gone down because it's so easy to apply. And generative AI has really changed the game completely. And I don't think we've even scratched the surface of what we're going to see as far as candidates leveraging Gen AI to apply for jobs. But what led you to the realization that, hey, this might become a problem for recruiters because they are going to get a lot more applications. Yeah, part of it was pure luck of being in the right place at the right time. So when we set out to create the job seeker side of CV Wallet, I say it was about storing proof and it was about how can we verify people and how can we surface qualified applicants for a particular job. When Gen AI came in, we realized quite quickly that if that data can't be trusted, employers are going to want to do something about that trust. How do we build trust around the CV? If A, let's be honest, it wasn't the world's most trustworthy document in the first place. No. And secondly, Gen AI comes along, produces vast quantities of applications very simply. We've seen tools that can produce a thousand applications overnight. And whilst I don't think that will be the norm, just simply using chat GPT as a sort of co-pilot to help fill in forms and all of that kind of thing means that you're getting a lot more applications in a sort of similar time span. And the data that you're getting, first of all, it all looks the same because it's all been customized to that particular yeah. job. So it's harder to tell apart. How do you actually get to those dozen candidates that are actually qualified for the job that you really want to talk to? And this is where the verification piece came in. Yeah. So the idea of storing proof against CV basically led us to how do you then verify who is what they say they are, et cetera, et cetera. And we developed what we call blue tick verification technology. So 
against a CV on every qualification, experience, skill. We said, why not prove to us that you have this particular skill or qualification? And, and we came up with these three blue ticks. And the idea with the blue ticks was to create trust with the yeah. employer because if you have some verification and proof behind it, then you, you can actually trust that and therefore you have a good solution. So that's how the two things came about. And then we wanted mm -hmm. to then wrap that all up within a service that hopefully sort of answered those problems. Yeah, that brings me to, uh, I guess, a new term that you've invented that's been out there. So cost per qualified, verified applicant. I, I do want to Dig in a little bit deeper how those blue ticks work, but how are you leveraging the qualified? Are you just taking, hey, we verified that they have these skill sets, so that makes them qualified? How does that work? So basically, the employer can customize the verification on a job level. So, yeah. for example, let's say you are recruiting for drivers, and the thing that is the most important thing for you is a driving license. So yep. effectively, the system allows you to ask the question, upload a copy of the driving license. The AI checks it and says, yep, that's definitely a driving license. Away you go. So it's like doing the referencing piece. But instead of it being at the very end of the successful candidates in a costly way, I don't know, costs I don't know, 50 bucks, whatever it is to do a reference, I have no idea. Yeah, We can do it for about 20 cents. The idea of doing it for everybody in a very low cost way at the very beginning then saves huge amounts of time with you basically don't have to do all this processing and interviewing of candidates who are not suitable. So we built that verification piece, as I say, around what is important for the job. Is it your right to work? Is it your make sure that person is a real person by checking their identity? Yeah. Have they got the requisite skills? All that kind of stuff. So it's a very light touch, but it's with some kind of proof. And it's mm. with that we can therefore verify it. So coming back to your question about qualified, verified applicants, we also, by the way, put a matching algorithm on it as well. Lots of people do that. What we've done is it's quite hard to create a business model around cost per qualified, verified applicant because you, yeah. you, you don't know what your conversion rates are. So you, it'd be very yeah. difficult to start out. What we do is we start out with a cost per applicant model. Okay. And you pay however much you need to pay, entirely down to you, depending on supply and demand and the yep. type of job it is, where it is, et cetera. The system then, as you put people through the verification process, it then optimizes the spend based on the conversion rate. Mm. So you get this CPA, but optimized based on quality. And the output of that is a cost per qualified, verified applicant. Now, what we're not doing is we're not trying to say to customers, let's start with that. We, you have to go on a journey the same way as you, yeah. you, know, you start with cost per click and you try and figure out how much you need to bid and all that stuff. You start from a cost per application and then you optimize based on quality. You put people through this verification layer and you end up with a short list of qualified applicants and saves you vast quantities of time to get to the ones that you actually want to hire through your normal hiring processes. What has been the response? Because we talked earlier about there's no friction, but then there's also the risk of putting too much friction. And I think you just named drivers. And I've recruited drivers and friction at the start of the process is very challenging because like literally all I need to know is, can you drive? Yep. Do you have a particular license? Are you nervous that friction at the start of the process might deter some candidates? We try and emphasize as much as possible to create as little friction as possible. So for a driver... I wouldn't take a CV. I'd take name, email address, upload yeah. the proof of your driving license. That's it. 
And first of all, there's close to zero friction because they should have that documentation to hand. Yeah. And, and secondly, the time saving of trawling through all of those people who, frankly, are not suitable because of these auto-apply tools, because of globalization, all of this stuff. People apply for jobs picturing their future self. Yeah. They, they don't apply for I am qualified today. They apply on the basis of if I got this job, I could get a work permit. If I got this job, I could buy myself a car. If I got this job, then I just need to take my driving license and I could start. It's, yeah. it's this weird dynamic that we have. And even today, before Gen AI came along, we're rejecting what 98% of people that apply for jobs, something like that, yeah. depending on the sort of roles that you're dealing with. That is as big a problem as the proof point. If you can combine the two things together, have a hugely big funnel to bring lots of people in, yeah. but then a thin layer to get to those that you actually want to, then you end up with a much more efficient system. Looking at companies that they're drowning with how many resumes they're getting, the recruitment teams have shrunken in the last couple of years. We've got a big skills mismatch, which is causing just like nightmare for companies trying to recruit. So if I'm a company and I'm looking, okay, I have a smaller team, I really want my team to be focused on those qualified applicants, how should they start looking at candidates differently and how they go to the market? Because there's also an argument of your employment brand, right? Having people opting out of applying for your job in this day and age is probably as important as people opting in to apply for your job. What advice do you have for TA leaders that are looking, hey, we need to do this different. We need to start verifying these applicants. We need to get down to the quality. How should they start? A couple of things to touch on there. Employment brand. I'm no employment brand expert, but I have a big issue with a lot of the brand stuff that goes on because there's so much yep. putting lipstick on a pig. You, you are what you are. You fix your employment brand by fixing your company, not by painting it really pretty, you know, on your advert. You, you need to be authentic and real about all of this stuff. Okay. So that's certainly one part. You talk about the the skills mismatch. And I think we will probably always have this. We probably need to divide skills into two parts here, hard skills and soft skills. Yeah. The hard skills, so, you know, coding Java or something like that. The issue that we have here is that the market moves faster than our education and experience can keep up. So, for example, prompt engineer, right? There was a point where everybody wanted prompt engineers they would pay millions of dollars for them, and then we all realized that we could all actually just put in a, a bunch of words into chat gpt and we could be prompt engineers too but the speed of change of technology is such that it takes a while for those hard skills to, yeah. to catch up the reality is nearly all hard skills can be measured through the cv through assessments qualifications experiences fairly straightforward yep where I think there is an opportunity is around the soft skills. So right. those sort of jobs where you don't have to do something specific. So I'll give you an example, prison officers. The chances are, if you're hiring a prison officer, that person has never been a prison officer before because there is only one employer. It's the government and they employ all the prison officers. And if you've done it once and you've left, you're never going back. If you think about how you find prison officers, it's nearly impossible because what do you advertise for? So you, you have to break that down into those soft skills. And there's a really interesting piece of research done by Harvard back in 1937, believe it or not. And it said that 85% of career success was a result of soft skills, not hard skills. And that kind of makes me think because, okay, how do you identify those skills and how do you therefore find them in, in, in other places? And the approach that we've taken is you can take that job, break it down into the 
different soft skills that you need. You can then use, there's loads of assessment tools out there that will allow you to assess people on that. But again, it's a tricky thing if you try and put that at the very beginning of a process. So you generally say, we're looking for these type of skills. Do you have them? Then you bring people in, then you assess them. One of the approaches that we've taken, which I think is a little bit different, is rather than trying to distill and go down that sort of very complicated route, we wanted to find a way, how do we do that quickly? We don't care if we're quite 100%, and AI has made it possible. And, and all mm. that you need to do is you, you go to AI and say, what soft skills are required in this job? Tell me the names of some other jobs that require the same sort of soft skills. Then use that information to create a search to actually then find people who've done those sort of jobs that then have transferable skills into the type of job that you're looking for. And then hopefully you've, you've taken a big step to solving that particular problem. But still, if you've done the job somewhere else, does it mean that you have those soft skills? There's still some challenges there, right? Yeah, yeah and you're still going to put people through a process, but at least you've got a starting point. If, mm. if somebody has worked in hospitality, the chances are they're relatively good with people. They're probably going to be okay in a customer service call center, for example. So it, it's thinking in those sort of terms. And I think we just need to uh, be a bit more creative about how we go about that stuff in terms of finding applicants in those areas where there is a shortage of skills. Mm. Or you need to start training people if it's hard skills to get those skills, bringing people yeah. in who are smart and then putting them through the process. I'm curious, Richard, and this has been a topic of conversation, but it hasn't really gained a lot of hype in this industry yet as far as the concerns of AI and algorithms. Do you have concerns over leveraging AI in hiring decisions? Oh, it's a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, Every time people have tried to do it, it's failed. And I think that governments will legislate against it. There's legislation in New York and in the EU around this stuff. So I think you just have to avoid it. The idea of trying to use AI to make hiring decisions is, is very, very bad. I think you can use AI very efficiently in terms of processing and automating your hiring process, you know, things like setting up interviews, blah, 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 blah. And you can use it around the skill side of things. You know, there, there are things that it works really well for, but asking an AI to do your recruitment for you it is a nightmare because it, it's built on data and that data, is, unless it's perfect, which none of it is, and it's yeah. invariably hidden behind the black box, so it's very difficult to drill into it. In our view of the world, we believe that you, you are going to have a situation where you have bots talking to bots. There's no question about that. And from a job seeker side of things, the whole idea, as I say, behind CV Wallet is you store proof so that you, you can literally create yeah. a frictionless process. But ultimately, it gets you to a point. I, I don't think it should be making the final decision. I think it should get you to a point of shortlist, at which yeah. point you then need face-to-face -face human interaction, have conversations, and it's how you do your hiring thereafter. So to leave it to AI to do it, this idea that you press the big red button and the computer tells you what your job is. If, if you start down that route, before you know it, you're testing people age 10. Yeah. And their lives are planned out and the computer tells you what you're going to be. And to me, that is so bad and dystopian that it just terrifies me. And I think even in shortlisting, that 
can create some challenges as well. Like there still can be bias early in the process, but hundred percent agree with you. I think we're going to see legislation like we've never seen. And obviously what happens in the U S is probably going to come to Canada, probably UK. So I think we're going to see quite a bit of that in the coming years. So jumping into TA leaders that are looking at all of the noise that is in the HR tech space and trying to figure out what systems they should be using. Do you have any advice for these TA leaders looking at what's the best tools that I should be using for my talent acquisition department to be successful? I think that the reality is it entirely depends on each individual problem and circumstance. So what works for somebody that recruits drivers will not work for someone that recruits lawyers. It's horses for courses. I think my only question in all of this, and this comes back to the whole job seeker AI thing and, and the increase in applications is whatever you choose, make sure that it is scalable and, and it deals with it. You know, run some scenario yeah. planning. What happens if I get 10x applications. What happens if I get 100x applications? Is my matching technology going to continue to be able to work when all of those people's applications look the same and they've been tailored to the job? It's stuff around that, I think, that you need to start thinking about. Once you've got a system that works, then use the technology and AI to make it as efficient as possible so that you can then scale it. But to me, it's about running those scenario plannings. Trying to figure out the outcome before you look at these tools as well is yeah, probably absolutely. critical. Yeah. So we're already in February, man. This year is flying by really quickly. But I, I always like to get a sense of what are we predicting for 2024? I, I had a prediction a couple of weeks ago. It's either going to be the most boring year in history or the most disastrous with all of these elections, obviously AI coming in play. Any prediction in our space of something that's going to disrupt talent acquisition recruitment even more in 2024? I think we'll start to see the effects of the AI adoption stuff. It yeah. goes without saying. I think we've all talked about it, but we will then start to feel the pain, I think, is what will happen. Increasingly seeing posts of people saying, I advertise this job. I used to get 15 applications. I've now got a thousand. How am I going to cope with this? And just turning it off is part of the solution, but it's not the complete solution because you're not going to get the same conversion rate. So it might be that you got five good candidates for every hundred, but if it's now five good candidates for every thousand, turning it off at a yeah. hundred is, is not going to do it for you. I think we'll start to see the effects of that coming through. Um, there's been so much money coming into the sector. Invariably, we'll see some issues with some people, for sure. I think the job boards particularly will have a tough year. And I think the reason why the job boards will have a tough year is because if people are getting lots of applications, that'll be the first thing that they turn off, sadly. And then they'll realize their mistake and try and turn the things back on again. So I think we'll see consolidation across the, the job board sector as well. So I guess those are the two sort of main things that I'm I would expect for this year. So I guess one of my prediction might happen at the start of the year predicted that recruit holdings would acquire zip recruiter this year. I have my doubts, but you yeah. never know, right? You're, you're nodding. No, no, no I don't think so. Zip have got a ton of money in the bank. There's no chance. Zip will tough it out. I think the revenues struggle, but earnings continue to go up because they've been efficient. I think they're sat with, half a billion in the bank or something but you know the opportunity to consolidate across the sector 
I think will be huge. So I'd be very surprised if, if that happens. My prediction is that Indeed will be uh, rolled out of Recruit and floated on the NASDAQ as an independent business. Because the models on NASDAQ are so much better than on the Nikkei. You know, it's, it's an obvious thing. And they took this money from private equity that was a bit weird back in the last year. And they're a value creation private equity group. So they must be thinking that. They'd make so much money doing it. Yeah. So that, that's my prediction. What's your thoughts around Google job ads basically not continuing after alpha testing? Were you surprised by that? I was slightly surprised, but I was mostly disappointed because it, yeah. could, have, it could have really shaken things up, actually. I think what happened is, and Alexander Tchaikovsky, who's one of our advisors, yeah. uh, nailed it. And the senior person at Google came along, tested it, clicked on a link, it did three redirects. It was a horrendous customer experience and they go there's no way we're letting this out in the wild and it got shut down there was also discussion that the results weren't that great like the equivalent of the cpc on it was was quite high compared to other products they have i'm feeling the same way i'm not surprised i'm disappointed because i i really do think it could have shaken things up or it could have ended up very similar to google for jobs where only the big players are playing on Google job ads, so Indeed and Zip Recruiters, it'd be dominated from the same people, which I can't even imagine if anyone's played with like the AdSense boy, like the manager, you need to know what the hell you're doing to be able to manage it. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't understand why they can't fix it. There are what, 30,000 job boards globally, right? Yeah. Google must know who these people are, just exclude them. Yeah. If the problem is redirects and job boards, just exclude them and, and just do directs. Surely they can do that. This can't be hard. I think part of the issue has always been with jobs, isn't it? Is that job still live? Yes. When the job gets taken down, it's not straightforward what we do. And mm. I think maybe they've, they've come across that being an issue and realizing that the jobs are out of date and so on and so forth. But who knows? There are so many factors, right? And if you think about their core product being under intense pressure by AI, like I can't blame them for focusing on the main core of their business. And I do predict that we will see it in a couple of years, maybe five years. It will come back yeah. probably way better than what they put out there. So yeah. Richard, this was a fantastic conversation. It's, it's really an honor to meet you. And it's so good to have you on the Recruitment Flex. If anyone wants to get a hold of you, what's the best way to get a hold of Richard Collins? Yeah, LinkedIn is normally the best place to find me. You can find out more about the business, cvwallet.com. But I say LinkedIn, we're always sort of around. Just drop us a line and always happy to chat. Perfect. Thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Have a great day. Fantastic. Thanks. Uh, thanks for inviting us. Au revoir. Shelly, let's face it, texting candidates is the easiest way to hire quicker today. But your cell phone doesn't connect to your ATS. You're sharing your personal number with strangers. That's pretty scary, right, Shelly? And mm. it's not even legally compliant. Mm, this is where our friends at Rectex come in. They've created simple yet powerful text recruiting software that works with your ATS. Plus, it's designed by recruiters for recruiters, so you know it works. To learn more and book a demo, visit www.rectxt.com, mention the Recruitment Flex, and get 10% off annual plans.
The world's best-known investor and Wall Street expert Warren Buffett once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel.